I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. A warning for listeners, this episode contains graphic description of alleged sexual assault. Please listen with caution and care. In February of 1999, 86-year-old Rosemary Williams arrived at Jamaica Hospital in Queens. She claimed that she'd been raped at knife point. At the time, Rosemary's grandson Gary was on parole from a drug possession charge and had been staying with her. Rosemary told police that she and Gary had argued about a friend he'd had over. Then later that night, she said he came into her bedroom, threatened her, and then assaulted her. Right from the beginning, there were conflicting versions of what occurred. But the the accusation that led to his arrest and indictment was that he raped and sodomized his grandmother. My mom's told me over the phone. I said, are you serious? She said, yes. She said, they looking for you. But when you hear this, this is like crazy, this lie. This is, it's wild. What were you it's thinking? It's the most embarrassing thing that I faced in my life. I have to face it every day in here with these guys. I'm Gary Williams. I've been incarcerated for 24 years. From Lava for Good, this is Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Today, Gary Williams. Gary Williams has been incarcerated in New York since 2001. He's serving 25 to life for a crime that, as you'll hear, never happened. Since I'm in New York, I took a short two-hour trip to visit Gary at Fishkill Correctional Facility in Beacon. It's a medium security prison with razor wire fences surrounding the daunting brick building. Inside was disorganized and chaotic. Our interview was even cut short by a lockdown for an unknown reason. When that happened, Gary was taken back to his cell immediately. However, we were able to speak for an hour. I was born in Snow Hill, Maryland, and I was raised in South Jamaica, Queens. We moved to Far Rockaway. So I grew, I grew up in Queen, um, Jamaica and Far Rockaway. I got an older brother named Aaron, 
another brother named Manu, Aaron, Diane, Manu, Michelle, and me. Gary's parents were Manuel Williams and Margaret Bratton. When Gary was around two, the family moved in with Gary's paternal grandparents, Franklin and Rosemary Williams, on 142nd Street in Jamaica, Queens. The kids knew them as Daddy Frank and Mama Rose. My granddad, he cooks breakfast every morning. So I used to get up in the morning and go sit down in the chair and watch him cook. Eggs, grits, sausages. And he used to give me a half a cup of coffee. I remember that. I, I, I look forward to that. When I go to sleep at night, I'm like this. Daddy Frank gonna cook me breakfast in the morning. Yep, I look forward to that. He took us to Florida. Mm-hmm. We were the youngest grandkids. So he used to take the two youngest boys everywhere he went. Baseball games, everywhere. Yeah, I had some good times in that house. Oh, he was, to me, he was salt of earth. He was a very nice person. This is Gary's older brother, Aaron Williams. He gave all his grandchildren, when he worked and everything, he gave all of us allowance on Fridays, and he took us to baseball games. He even came to our games and everything a lot. And then what about Mama Rose? What was she like? Oh, she was a piece of work. She never went anywhere with us. She would drink, and that was, boy, that was a done deal. She would play the numbers, she would drink, and she would have barbecues, and she would invite friends over, and we had a nice time. But like I said, when she started drinking and everything, everything went a little haywire. She was very nasty when she drank. As Aaron remembers it, Mama Rose didn't seem to care for Gary much. When we first moved up here, she she was nice to all of us. But it seemed like for some reason, along the way, she just started resenting Gary. It seemed like whatever he did, she didn't like it. She resented him a lot. I don't know why. Mama Rose's younger son, Richard, Gary's uncle Rick, was a source of tension for Gary as well. He didn't like me since I was a little boy. I used to hear him talk about my dad behind his back, you know what I'm saying? So I never really told my dad because my uncle, like, he's the type of person that liked to fight, so I didn't want to see two brothers fight over something. I, you know, I tried to avoid things like that. Wow. He was a drug user back in the 60s and 70s. Every time my dad lent him money, he don't never pay my dad back. Oh, uh, one time, he tried to get money from me. I wouldn't give it to him. I says, how you expect me to lend you money? You can't pay my dad money. And how many years you owe my father? Over five years? That means you ain't paying him. When Gary was around 12, the family left his grandparents' house and moved to a place in Springfield Gardens. Soon after that, Gary's parents separated and his mother moved out. She just packed her stuff and left. And left. Nobody know where she went. You see what I'm saying? She left the kids with my father. Right. So nobody knew where she was at. So I said, well, I know where she work at. So Gary says one day he got on his bike and rode to her workplace, the post office at Kennedy Airport, about two miles away. When his mother got off work, he says he saw her get into a car with his older brother, Aaron. So they drove right by me. So when they did, I followed them all the way to Far Rockaway. When she was getting out the car, I was like, Mom, I found you. Gary's mom was living in a one-bedroom apartment at the time. His father was moving down to Delaware with his sisters, so Gary's mother got a bigger place, and he and his two brothers moved in with her in Far Rockaway. A block and a half away from the ballwalk? I had to get used to that. (laughs) Me and my brother, we used to race each other playing in the sand. 
They had a basketball court there, handball court, and a baseball court. Were you particularly good at any of them? Uh, I basically wanted to do it because my older brothers did it, but I was all right. Gary's teens were spent living near the beach, playing sports and hanging out with his brothers. But when he reached his 20s, he started getting into trouble. Things happened, you know. I was, I was a thief. You know, I ain't gonna lie, you know, I did that. I have two robbers in the drug case. Were you working at all? Yes, I used to drive trucks. LBX, trucking company, I used to drive for them. I used to work in TSS department store. So you were working, so how come you felt like you needed to rob or do things like that? I don't know, I guess they wasn't paying enough. Between 1984 and 1992, Gary served time on and off for three felony convictions, one for selling drugs and one each for robbery and attempted robbery. In February of 1999, when he was 36 years old, he was out on parole for a drug charge. With no place else to go, he was once again staying under Mama Rose's roof in Queens. She was now in her 80s and a widow. Daddy Frank had died in 1986. Gary's father, Manuel, was living in Maryland and coming around to help Mama Rose fix up the house so she could sell it. So tell me a little bit about Mama Rose. Mama Rose was kind of difficult to get along with. She's got, she was like kind of difficult, but I did my best. Um, I do things around the house for her. If she asked me to, I do it. So why was she difficult to get along with? Because the type of person she is. I mean, you got to go her way. It's, 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 it's her way or it's the highway, you know. She's always in people's business, she, you know. I hear her coming, I might go that way, you know what I'm saying? I try to avoid up sometimes. I do what I got to do, not leave. Gary began to notice that sometimes Mama Rose didn't seem quite all there. She was starting to get forgetful. But when she asked me to go to the store three times in a row, two or three times for the same thing, and she kept on giving me the, a, a fresh 20. Now, and the second time, I'm like this, I just went to the store for you. You got the same thing. She was like, just go again, all right? So I just took the money and went again. What was it that she wanted? I think it was uh, a tall can of beer. She was a, excuse my expression, she was a bitch. This is Gary's brother, Aaron, again. My Rose was a big liar, too. Like, what kinds of things had she made up? She would, like, my mother would cook dinner and everything. She would tell her friends that she cooked the dinner and took, you know, took the credit for it. Like I said, she was a piece of work. I stayed with my father you know, overnight when I was helping him fix the house. And one of her girlfriends came over, and they got to drinking and playing cards and everything. It was in the wintertime with snow on the steps out front. So they got in an argument, so she told her to get the hell out of the house. And she went to the front door, and the Rose followed right behind her and kicked her down at the icy steps. She didn't go to church like she said she went. Matter of fact, I can't even remember the last time she went to church. I think last time she went to church when my granddad was living. She liked playing her numbers. She liked going to Atlantic City. She's like, she's like a, any other lady her age, you know what I'm saying? My grandma is not gambling <laughs> and drinking tall boys, so maybe not. <laughs> One week, Gary had a girlfriend named Sharon visiting from Maryland. When they sat down to dinner, Mama Rose noticed that Sharon put hot sauce on her potato chips, and she did not like that. So maybe an hour later, my Rose called me, and she says, when is she leaving? 
I said, I think she's leaving Sunday or Monday. She said, when she do, she can't come back. So I says, why? What's wrong? She says, anybody put hot sauce on potato chips is on drugs. I said, you don't even know her. You just met her. How you gonna say she on drugs? She gonna say, trust me, I've been living longer than you. She's on drugs. The arguments continued, and within a week or so, Gary had enough of Mama Rose being in his business. And I got, I got, I got fed up with it. I was like, this, okay, I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? So I put the keys on the table and packed my little stuff I had. Gary took off and went down to Delaware, where some of his family lived. He knew he was taking a risk jumping parole by leaving the state, but he had had it with Mama Rose. Early Saturday morning, February 6, 1999, Rosemary Williams called her daughters-in-law and told them that she had been raped by her grandson, Gary Williams. My name is Elizabeth Felber, and I head the Wrongful Conviction Unit at the Legal Aid Society. Elizabeth has been working on Gary's case since 2019. Right from the beginning, there were conflicting versions of what occurred. But the the accusation that led to his arrest and indictment was that he raped and sodomized his grandmother. Here's what Mama Rose told the police had happened that night and what she later testified to at trial. And just a heads up, this next section is graphic. Between Thursday and Friday, you know, like early Friday morning, say around four, Gary knocked on his grandmother's door. And when he came in, He was naked, he was holding a knife, he was smoking a cigarette, and he was wearing a condom. And he told her that he wanted to have sex, although he said it a little more graphically, according to Grandma Rose. And that he tried to vaginally penetrate her, was unable to do so, went and got baby oil, poured it all over her, Sorry, it's just so awkward to have to tell this story. Um, and then he he had oral sex, you know, you know, put his mouth to her vagina, and then she claimed that he tried to put his penis in her mouth, and she told him that if he did that, she was going to bite his penis off. He said, "I'm not going to kill you." And she said, at another point, he sat down and started to cry and said he was sorry. And then he went into his bedroom because he was living with her at the time. She told him she would make breakfast for him. Um, and then she said when it looked like he was had fallen asleep, she ran down the stairs and that he came after her calling Mama Rose, come back, that she ran outside yelling fire. She ran about a block away, I guess, to a school that was people were dropping their kids off at school, told Some woman, help, help, Um, my grandson's going crazy. And the woman offered to call the police. She didn't want to go to the police. She said, drive me to my friend's house, who was right down the street from where she lived. Mama Rose stayed overnight with her friend, Mary Cunningham. The next day, she called Gary's mother, Margaret Bratton, and told her that Gary had come into her bedroom and raped her at knife point, and that there was blood everywhere. Margaret immediately called Gary's father and told him what Mama Rose had said. Manuel and his brother Richard went to Mama Rose's house. Manuel later reported seeing no blood on her bed or in her bedroom. Nevertheless, the police were called. 
I believe it was her younger son who called the police. She didn't even want to call the police. She did not want to go to the hospital. I suspect that she, whatever story she concocted, she realized it had gotten out of control and she was trying to shut it down. But it was like, you know, the train had already left the station. Police soon arrived at the scene to investigate, led by Detective Linda Hardy. However, no official sex crimes unit was dispatched. No evidence was collected at her house. There should have been baby oil left traces. You know, even if someone had taken off the sheets, there should have been baby oil on the mattress, uh, a knife, a, a cigarette that was put out in, a, in, in an ashtray, a condom. She claimed she washed herself with a washcloth. So none of that was collected. There, and there's no indication that the crime scene unit even showed up. Richard took Mama Rose to Jamaica Hospital in Queens, where she was examined by Dr. David Ware. Dr. Ware was a resident at the time. He did not conduct a proper forensic exam, and he failed to collect any physical evidence that would have supported Mama Rose's story. He should have swabbed her mouth and give it, you know, those would have been samples that they could have checked for any kind of, you know, DNA of, of Gary Williams or even baby oil, honestly, anything that would have backed up her, her story. Most significantly, Dr. Ware did not follow standard procedure by administering a rape kit. They didn't. They didn't follow it. And, and they have a hundred excuses for why they didn't follow it. The clothing wasn't taken. A rape kit wasn't done. So there was no physical evidence to support her story. Gary was unaware of all of this. After going to Delaware, he went to stay in Newport News, Virginia with Sharon. When he talked to his mother on the phone, she did tell him police were looking for him. And Gary assumed it was because he had jumped parole. Until she told him what Mama Rose had accused him of. I said, are you serious? She said, yes. She said, they looking for you. You know what I'm saying? I'm expecting her to tell. I'm only expecting one person looking for me, the parole officer. That's what I'm expecting. When she said what she said happened, I wasn't there. I wasn't living there. I was gone. Gary decided the best thing to do would be to turn himself in to the authorities in Virginia. When you turned yourself in, what were you thinking? Were you like, this is all going to get cleared up? Like, what did you think? Yeah. I want to get this behind me. I want to get this over with. You know, I'm innocent. Yes, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it didn't happen that way because I had to do a parole violation first. But the parole violation was nothing compared to what was coming next. Once Gary returned to New York, he was arrested and charged with first-degree rape, sodomy, possession of a weapon, and second-degree menacing and incest. So do you remember when this happened? I know my mother called me and told me that they arrested Gary. And she told me the reason why, and I just couldn't believe it. I said, it got to be lies. Something ain't right here. I know Gary. Gary would never do anything like that. His trial was set for July of 2001 in front of Judge Richard Buckter. The prosecutor was Assistant District Attorney Eric Rosenbaum, and Gary's attorney was Louis Meehan. So the first trial, how were you feeling the first trial? After hearing everything and... They're going to do the verdict. How did you feel? Uh, I was nervous. 
No, I already know if they, if they convict me, they're going to give me 25 to life because of my past history. I already know that. And, um, and they offered me um, plea bargains that I didn't take. What did they offer you? Uh, they offered me a flat 15. First of all, they don't offer nobody but my record a flat bed. They, offer you, they, they always put the L behind it, 15 to life. But with me, they offered me flat 15. I told him, I did not do it. I'm not taking it. Then a month and a half later, he says, the lawyer like this, he says, okay, the flat 15 is off the table. They offer me a flat five just for the day. You want it? I says, no. Then when they had the split verdict, they offered me one and a half to three. And you didn't take that either? No, I didn't do it. The jury believed that there just wasn't enough evidence to convict, and the first trial ended in a hung jury. So he actually had two trials, which I find is not uncommon when we have wrongful convictions. Like the jur- juries are pretty smart, and they really wrestled with the lack of evidence. At that point, Gary requested a change of attorney. Harold Arentrow was appointed and reported ready for trial just a few days later. And that is not nearly enough time to prepare for a case based on such serious charges. He gives me a new lawyer, I think on a Wednesday or Thursday, then we was picking a new jury Monday. So there's no way this new attorney did no investigation. There's no way. It wasn't no private investigator. He just took me to trial without investigating the case. I said, you just got this case last week. He said, yeah, but I glanced through your paperwork. He says, they got nothing on you. I said, so why I'm in here then? He says, trust me, you will be all right. 24 years later, here I go. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. You can listen to this and all the Lava for Good podcasts one week early and ad-free by subscribing to Lava for Good Plus on Apple Podcasts. Freedom Agenda is a proud sponsor of this episode of Wrongful Conviction. Freedom Agenda is led by people directly impacted by incarceration, and they're organizing to get Mayor Eric Adams to follow the law and shut down Rikers Island. Right now, thousands of people are awaiting trial there in life threatening conditions. Freedom Agenda is committed to creating a safer and more just city by winning investments in long-neglected communities, protecting the rights of people involved in the criminal legal system, and ending the cycle of violence that Rikers perpetuates. To learn more about the campaign to close Rikers and to sign up for Freedom Agenda's mailing list, go to campaigntoclosereikers.org slash getinvolved or follow at Freedom Agenda NY on social media. In September of 2001, Gary's second trial began. What was really striking about the trial was there was absolutely no law enforcement evidence proffered. They had no police officer testify at trial. I've never seen that at a trial. Even if it's an officer called to the witness stand to say, I arrested, you know, John Smith, like nothing. 
Instead, the prosecution focused on Mama Rose as their primary witness. In her testimony, she repeated the story she had told Detective Hardy. She and Gary had argued. He later came to her bedroom, threatened her with a knife, and assaulted her. Mary Cunningham took the stand to say that Mama Rose had banged on her door, told her that she'd been raped, and then spent the night. Gary's uncle Rick testified to driving his mother to the hospital and said that he'd seen bruises around her mouth that day. Mama Rose had testified that she was black and blue all over from him hitting her mouth with his penis. That was her testimony. And Richard, at the first trial, said that she had lacerations all over her mouth. And at the second trial, he said she was very black and blue. So he corrected himself. The most damning testimony the jury heard was from Dr. Ware, the resident at Jamaica Hospital. He told the court that when he examined Mama Rose, he believed her account of the assault, even though he hadn't observed any injuries. Again, not part of a typical forensic exam. It's not their place to vouch for the credibility of a witness. Um, But he said... She seemed very credible. He said because there was no rape kit, he had he made a point of being extra careful in his evaluation. He said he didn't see any injuries. He didn't see any injuries on her vagina or her mouth. He claimed that you couldn't see bruising on her because she was African-American. So it's hard to see bruising on an African-American person. And I mean, I think the thing that jumped out at me the most was he said, he was really surprised that she, because she had a, and I, I, this is a quote, a very elastic vagina that for an 85-year-old woman, like it was more like someone in their 60s. When asked why he didn't follow hospital protocol and administer a rape kit, Dr. Ware gave a number of excuses. The stated reason on the record was that they ran out of rape kits at Jamaica Hospital And he didn't know where rape kits came from. He said, oh, I think they're like a law enforcement thing. There's a lot of hospitals that are close by. And sometimes the SVU detective has a rape kit and ambulances have rape kits. They're pretty easy to get. You would know where rape kits come from. And you would know that you could do a makeshift rape kit if you improvise a rape kit if you had to. I mean, how does a case like this wind up being tried if there's no evidence. It was really just Mama Rose and Richard. Yes, Mama Rose and Richard. And the DA in his summation said he fled. So that's they use that against him. He fled. They looked for him for weeks and weeks and weeks. The guilty flee. You know, poor Mama Rose. She was so embarrassed that she had to go through this, the indignity of it. You know, he really appealed to their sympathy. So they really, I think it was a lot of bias. And You know, they went with, you know, mom, like, why would she come in was basically what they said. Why would she come in? She's not senile. Why would she come in? I mean, it is a crazy story. I know. Throughout the paperwork, you see all these people acting like they have a crystal ball and they can tell what the truth is. You know, I spoke to grandma, to Mama Rose, and I believe her. Something happened here. Something happened. She's a great 85 years old, and he has you know, felony record. They just decided that he's a terrible person and poor Mama Rose, you know, she's like baking brownies and going to church. You know, they have this whole picture of her, which, you know, leaves out the card parties and getting drunk and mean and stepping out with a married man named Fred. (laughs) You know, it doesn't really matter, but they just, they came up with their own narrative. 
After three days of deliberation, the jury returned a split verdict. They acquitted Gary of the rape and weapons charges, but they convicted him of incest, second-degree menacing, and first-degree sodomy. Gary was sentenced to 25 to life in prison. I'm not sure what convinced the jury. I think it was probably a compromise. You know, I'm guessing that there were still a lot of jurors that didn't believe it. At the first trial, several of the notes were like, no, can you explain, like, can you still convict if there's no evidence, you know, to like, they really honed in on the fact that there was no evidence, you know. I believe that I'm here by the doctor lying. Understand, this is why I believe I was convicted by the doctor lying. He lied more than one time and um, he convinced the jury. This is why I'm here. There were so many lies and so many things that weren't presented in this case, in this trial. And it's a bunch of bullshit to me. I mean, if you want to do this to a person, take that life just because you want to win. And that's kind of crappy. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. It's hard to have friends in prison. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a cold world in here. I didn't know how to deal with it. I ain't never been in prison for nothing like this. This right here is it's different. It's a different hit. You know what I'm saying? Um, they had a split verdict. I was found not guilty of rape. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but it's it's like it's still the same though. It's yeah. still the same to these people because. Um, I gotta, I gotta be on, I gotta, I gotta be on my P's and Q's every step of the day, every way, everywhere I go. I gotta watch, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't know, I don't know what's coming. What could, what could happen? A lot of things can happen. 
I know this one white guy, uh, I saw two guys run up in the cell and beat him up because he had a case like this. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Has things happened to you? Yes. I got jumped twice by correction officers. Were you close with your parents? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did they always believe you, believe in your innocence? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what, what was that like trying to maintain a relationship with your family while in prison? It was really hard because they, was down, they all moved down south once they retired. They moved back down south, so it was hard. It was hard for me to get a visit because nobody would bring my moms up and my pops was sickly and she got sick. They both passed away though. It was rough because I couldn't go to their funerals. I called my cousin when they was having my mother's services. He accepted the call and I, I, I was listening to the preacher. I, I was listening, you know what I'm saying? for half an hour, so that was it. Over the course of a decade, Gary filed many appeals, all of which were denied. Finally, in 2013, Gary reached out to Elizabeth Felber. Gary first wrote to me before I was working in this, you know, doing wrongful conviction work. I had had a few cases that where people were exonerated, and I wish I still had that letter. It was 10 years ago, but just reading it, I was just blown away by what a horrifying case it was. And I called his parents and I remember they both sadly have passed away since then. They were the nicest people and they both were like, oh, thank God somebody's finally trying to help Gary. What made you say, I need to look deeper into this? Because this does sound like a he said, said, she said, it's a difficult one. He told me there was no rape kit. There was no physical evidence. I think that there was nothing supporting the allegations. There were no injuries. I mean, if he had really raped an 85-year-old woman, like there would have been injuries. In 2019, Elizabeth became the head of a newly formed wrongful conviction unit at the Legal Aid Society. And she began working on Gary's case officially. She hired an expert, Chad Vasquez, to delve into the police investigation. He was a sex crimes detective for 20 years, said, I've never seen a case like this. And this this investigation and prosecution are fatally flawed, was his words. He said, nobody wants to be the person that accuses the person who's making these allegations of making it up, especially an 85-year-old grandmother. You know, like, nobody wants to say, I don't believe you, Mama Rose, you know, like, but but they have an obligation to follow the protocols and, and they didn't do that either in the investigation or at the hospital. He said, you have to call the crime scene unit. They should have spoken to the outcry witness, the woman next door. They should have tried to track down this alleged woman in the car. You know, they should have obtained the clothing. So he said none of that was done in this case. Elizabeth also consulted a forensics expert, Elaine Pagliaro, a sexual assault nurse examiner, Melissa Stone, and a retired nurse who had worked at Jamaica Hospital at the time of Mama Rose's visit, Juanita Vega. All three of them agreed that Dr. Ware had not followed standard protocol for a rape examination. I don't believe that if a jury heard what we've learned from these, you know, this nurse and this forensic scientist, that they would have convicted him because both juries struggled. And as it turns out, there appear to have been some family dynamics at play. I personally think the first lawyer did a better job than the second lawyer because he brought out some facts that, you know, gave the younger son a motive to lie. 
By the time of the first trial, Gary's Uncle Rick had sold Mama Rose's house in Queens for around $70,000. Mama Rose was now living with him in New Jersey. And she testified there was no money left over. So someone made about $70,000 on the house. And it sounds like it wasn't her. What happened was Rick took over everything. Rick snatched her up, took her to his house. He, he got her to sign papers, the power attorney. Then he went and sold the house. Then after he got the money, he put it in the nursing home. Mm. He got rid of it. He also said... There was no will, but we have a copy of the will, and the will specifically said that the proceeds of the house were to be shared with the two other siblings. So we think, you know, the uncle had a financial motive for um, backing her up. After interviewing a number of family members, Elizabeth learned something else that really turned the case upside down. According to Gary's brother, Manuel, who also went by Skip, Mama Rose had regrets in her later years and was dropping hints that her accusation wasn't true. And Skip said that he and Mama Rose were drinking beer one day on the porch, and she said, I'm too old to go to prison, but it's time to get Gary out. You know, and he took that as an admission on her part. I think she told my father that because he told me that Mama Rose and Ricky said, I think Gary's been there long enough, so it's time for us to get him out. To me, that's a mission of guilt. Both of them, the, one, the ones that lied, both of them took her to their grave and uh, Gary's still in there. Half his life was spent in jail yeah. because of this. And you mean your uncle, as in both of them? Yes. That was her child, and they were two of a kind. He was money hungry. I'm telling you right now, he's money hungry. And so what would, what would getting rid of Gary have to do with anything? Why would that help their situation? Well, for one thing, Gary was inquisitive, and they knew that my father would do anything to help Gary out. I had nothing to do with neither one of them after they did this shit. Wow. Excuse my expression. That's okay. Yeah, it really fucked me up. I mean, I because I couldn't believe this shit. And then, to me, after all these years, you admit this, you admit what you did, and then you took it to your grave with you, and still he's still locked up behind what they did. Today is January 9th, two thousand twenty. This is Investigator Thomas McCall from the Legal Aid Society. I am at Israel Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. Sir, what's your name? Richard R. Wade. Mama Rose passed away in 2011, and Uncle Rick died in March of 2020. But when he was interviewed by a legal aid investigator for Elizabeth, Uncle Rick turned out to have some surprising revelations about Mama Rose. He, he did not have sex with her, no. I don't believe How'd you find that out? Just talking with her and listening to her and feeling her out. She felt bad. I, I don't think she really hardly understood the, 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 the depth of this thing. And she just felt bad. She, she overplayed her. She overdid it. I think her mind wasn't right. And I think she was very remorseful of the fact that she had to testify against him, that he really didn't do the things that, that, that they claimed he did. There was no pitch. Skip said that she was mad at him and she wanted to punish him by getting him locked up. And she was pressured into testifying by the prosecution who said he could sue you. But I don't think she realized that accusing someone of rape, particularly if they have a record, which he did, could result in a life prison in prison sentence. 
And perhaps that's because what Gary had noticed was off with Mama Rose was that she might have been suffering from dementia. Like the father said he thought that his mother wasn't right in the head, that she was a little senile. Even I think my uncle said in one of his statements that it was he, he thinks that she was senile. And nobody never tested her for dementia, old timer's disease. I had two lawyers, and nobody never tested her. Do you forgive your grandmother? Yes, I have to. Because I believe that something was wrong with her. And she meant to my uncle that it didn't happen. With all of this new evidence, the expert testimony, along with the family statements, Elizabeth believes that they can show that Gary's rights were violated and that he will be released. Where is Gary's case at now? I literally just filed a motion to vacate the conviction based on ineffective assistance of counsel for not doing a proper investigation, for not consulting with experts, for not familiarizing himself with the trial of the first transcript, which is a goldmine to have a transcript of what everyone's going to say already. And I also moved to just, you know, vacate the conviction because it was I can't remember the exact language, but based upon fraud and misrepresentation, because the DA relied heavily on Dr. Ware's testimony, which is a, a series of misrepresentations. He will be up for parole next year. However, <laughs> catch 22, when you've been convicted of a sex crime, you have to take a sex offender treatment program and admit your guilt. So, you know, that's problematic. And he will also be a registered sex offender. Who wants to be a sex offender, a registered sex offender? Everywhere I go, everybody knows my business. Why would I want that? Now, if I really did it, I would have took them plea balls. Yeah, let me take it. No. Mm -mm. When you get out, what kinds of things do you want to do? Mm. Go visit my brother, spend time with his grandkids, spend time with my own great nieces and nephews that I never met before, spend time with my fiance, uh, eat the food I like to eat. What's what's that? Pizza. They got pizza here, but they ain't pizza like out there. Um, pizza, steak, you know. Good food. Let y'all eat every day. Whatever y'all want to eat, that's what I want to eat. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in the episode description to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom, Jeff Kempler, and Kevin Wordis, as well as senior producer Annie Chelsea, producer Kathleen Fink, story editor Hannah Beal, and researcher Shelby Sorrells. Mixing and sound design are by Jackie Pauly, with additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Connor Hall. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. 
Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Lava for Good and at Wrongful Conviction. You can also follow me on all platforms at Maggie Freeling. Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling is a production of Lava for Good podcasts in association with Signal Company Number One. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.